Today's episode of the Ministry Minded Podcast is proud to be partnered with Anchor Podcasts. Anchor is the easiest way for anyone to make a podcast. If you have a latent idea that's just kind of lying around for a show you would like to record one day, I'm confident that anyone could use this platform to host, record, and distribute your podcast, turning your idea into a reality. Anchor puts everything you need to be successful all in one place. You can start a new recording right from your mobile device. They also have convenient creation tools that allow you to edit your audio files so they sound crisp and great. Anchor also distributes your podcast for you, letting listeners find your show almost everywhere, including Spotify, Anchor Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and several others. And best of all, it's free. There are no hosting fees or monthly subscriptions or minimum listener counts, just an easy-to-use platform to get your podcast out there at no cost to you. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm today to get started. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Ministry Minded Podcast, a show that seeks to marvel at the mercy of God that meets us in our messy ministries. I'm your host, Brad Gray, and this is episode number 36. Um, today I'm just so excited to be joined by none other than Pastor Nick Lannon. Nick is an Anglican minister serving in Louisville, Kentucky at Grace Anglican Mission. Uh, I've been fortunate enough to hear and to meet Nick, Nick a couple times um, at various conferences and such most recently at the um, 2018 uh, Mockingbird Conference in New York City. Uh, and I've just always had a uh, deep affection for Nick's writing. I think Nick is such a great thinker. He's a great writer. And um, I've always wanted to sit and chat with him. And uh, I've always found his work so profound. And um, additionally, I want to talk to him because um, I found out we have a also a deep affection for uh, NBA basketball and LeBron James. <laughs> and... Um, such as what we talk about today. Uh, most of our conversation today is uh, regarding sports and how sports kind of show um, our failure to distinguish between the law and the gospel. I think sports are perhaps the best stage on which to illustrate gospel truth. Most notably, I think sports is sort of a crucible of the human heart. They kind of expose our theologies of glory um, very, very well. Uh, they expose also our failure to uh, judge ourselves, to rightly judge ourselves, and also judge others. And, and, and that's made devastatingly clear through any sort of athletic field or, or court. And uh, sports are just so relatable. Uh, they're recognizable. They're familiar to us. Uh, we kind of understand what's going on and then that in that world in that realm Nick and I seek to kind of show that through sports man's sort of quarrel with it with sin and himself is evidenced in very high contrast and um, we also seek to endeavor to explain how each of us are Michael Jordan's sons and the grave fallacy of hashtag Mamba mentality um, this was just such a fun episode to record. I, I think you're really going to enjoy this one. Uh, it's, it's fun, but it's also very deep in terms of theology, and uh, we talk about a lot of stuff. We hit a lot of things pretty quickly. So sit back and enjoy this one, and uh, I hope you'll be encouraged. Before we get to that, though, uh, just a reminder that today's show is brought to you by the Christian Standard Bible. The Christian Standard Bible offers an optimal blend of accuracy and readability, which inspires lifelong discipleship and helps readers make a deeper connection with God's Word. To find out more about the Christian Standard Bible, go to csbible.com. Now, for Nick Lannon. 
All right, thanks so much, Nick, for uh, joining the Ministry Minded Podcast. I am so excited for today's show and what we're going to chat about. Uh, how are you doing today? I'm doing just fine. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I, I've i been wanting to do this for a while, and finally, I think we have been able to get our schedules aligned and to make this happen. Uh, but let's kind of just start right at the beginning here, Nick, and uh, why don't you just kind of introduce yourself and, and kind of what you are doing and where you are and what kind of keeps you busy uh, in your life. Well, you've caught me um, right in a moment of transition in my life. Um, I am currently a minister in the Episcopal Church, but only for about another two weeks, actually. Um, I am having my orders um, accepted into the Anglican Church of North America, the ACNA, I um, have been the associate rector at St. Francis in the Fields Episcopal Church uh, for three and a half years, but I um, have announced my resignation from St. Francis, and um, I'm not technically appointed yet, so I want to <laughs> I want to be clear about that. But Lord willing, and pending the appointment of the bishop, I will be vicar of Grace. Anglican mission here in Louisville, Kentucky, starting on September 1st. So what's keeping me busy right now is packing up my house and getting ready to move, um, trying to buy a house, doing all the stuff um, that's required when you move and change jobs and all that stuff. Oh, that's that's great. What a wonderful time to be transitioning. Now, I, I, I hope it was uh, transition on good terms. I trust it was, but uh, that's exciting. Um, n- new new adventures, new um, new challenges, but new responsibilities. Uh, that's that's exciting. I'm I'm happy for you, Nick. Thanks, I appreciate it, and I I would appreciate your prayers. Yes, definitely, 100%. Uh, I, I know the um, feeling of transitioning to a new location or a new position and kind of stepping out, uh, a big step of faith uh, as you step out into a new ministry sort of field. And uh, that's always a, a trying time, but also one that's rewarding too. Uh, and I know that you and your wife and your family will uh, will be the better for it. Um so sort of what I wanted to talk about today, though, uh, is something that we, well, something that you have talked about a lot, but also something that it's kind of passionate and something that's at the heart of what I like to chat about with some of my other friends. But I think you're one of the best people, I think, to uh, talk about this, which is sort of the um, sort of the combination, I guess, the the um, the amalgamation, I guess you might say, of sports and theology. Uh, I think there's something to be said um, about about some of the articles that you have written, but also some of the truth that I think that you point out in those pieces that, that come to light, I think, when you are interviewing or talking with or watching sports unfold in front of your front of your eyes. So let me just ask you this right off the top. Um, Why do you think that sports and athletics and sporting events and whatnot are such good, um, I guess, microcosms of human beings? I think uh, the reason, and, you know, it's certainly true that not everybody likes sports. Um, I, I don't understand those people all that well, but I, I know they exist. But whether or not you like sports, I find that, that sports are relatable because 
the great vast majority of athletes fail all the time. Um, you know, the, there's the old saying that, you know, the, the greatest hitters in, in, in baseball fail like 65% of the time. Um, there was a, there was a great, um, series of murals, uh, painted at the London Olympics that uh, depicted athletic failure because while we remember the several hundred Olympians who win gold medals, we completely forget about the literal thousands of them who don't win anything at all and you have to wait four years just for their next opportunity. So the, uh, the sort of widespread and profound failure that accompanies sports um, is inherently relatable to any human being because as a human being, we are all experiencing profound failure all the time. It's just not always in such a public way. So we can, we can easily sympathize, I think, with these athletes who, who, who fail in front of everyone in, in ways that would terrify the rest of us. Yeah, I think that's so true. Um, it's so apparent um, when you're when you fail on that type of stage, you can we can relate to that because whether we admit it or not, we've failed in similar ways, just maybe in different environments or in different settings. We've we know ourselves to be failures. Um, one thing that I really wanted to talk with you about because I found it so incredibly. Um, fascinating but also enlightening was I, I don't remember which um talk that you gave this at um and you can remind me or refresh my memory but you said something recently um uh, to the effect of that we're all michael jordan's son um can can you expound on that sure i was um i there's an article and this is years ago um I, i'm not sure when you would have heard me talking about it, but um, there's an article years ago about um, Michael Jordan's sons and how they were living under the constant and incredibly oppressive shadow of being Michael Jordan's sons. There was, um, so when, when Jordan was in, inducted into the hall of fame in 2000, 2009, at one point, during his induction speech, he turned to his children and said, quote, you guys have a heavy burden. I wouldn't want to be you guys if I had to. <laughs> this is a father talking to his children. And um, we, in the same way that they are struggling and failing to live up to the expectation of Michael Jordan's son, um, we are all um, struggling and failing to live up to the version of ourselves that God is calling us to be. Um, in Ephesians, it says that we are to be imitators of God. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, therefore, you must be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. And this is akin to Jordan turning to his children and saying, I wouldn't want to be you because you live your life under the weight of living up to me. But he didn't have any good news for them. All he could say was, sorry. Uh, we, Christians, have good news 
that when we fail to live up to the standards that have been set for us, um, we have a Savior who has not only lived up to those standards on our behalf, but then given that success to us. See, Jordan's sons have to earn, in a sense, the last name that they carry. We are given a new name. We are called righteous on account of Jesus Christ's work for us. And I think that also kind of stems from, um, you know, in Philippians where Paul is talking about, I strive towards the mark, towards the prize of the high calling of God. And I think our law-driven self-justification um, souls see that prize as, as what you were talking about in Matthew 5, the, the perfection uh, that we're called to, that we know that we're supposed to be striving after. And we, we use that as sort of the motivation of how we are supposed to live and, and all these things. And, and just like what you said, it becomes the, 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 the driving factor of everything that we do, that we are uh, uh, trying to live up to this measure of perfection. And just like in sports, if we if we think that we can do it on our own, with our own agility, our own ability, with our own um, athleticism, so to speak, our self-righteous athleticism, then we're, we're going to be striving after the wind, as it says forever in, in Ecclesiastes. Uh, we're going to be striving after these pursuits that will never, ever um, allow us to obtain what we're striving after. Uh, but just like you said, that's when the gospel comes in and gives us that good news that we don't have to strive after. We've been given it in Christ Jesus. Uh, I think that's such a powerful illustration of the perfection that we're given in the gospel. The great thing is, not the great thing, the, the profound thing is that in a sense, for us to be saved, the father has to leave the child, right? When, when Jesus is hanging on the cross, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In that moment, that moment of moments, God had to leave his son. In other words, in order to, in order for the son's atonement to satisfy his, the father's justice, God has to leave. Of course, Michael Jordan can't leave his sons. They just have to labor. <laughs> they have to labor in a sense under his presence. But we as Christians for that one moment get wow, the father is, to leave so that the son's the achievements can be credited to us. The son is left by the father so that, so that he never has to leave us. And I think that's the resoundingly true and the resoundingly good news that the gospel gives to us. And I think it's, it's so apparent in that, in that illustration that you just told uh, regarding Michael Jordan. Um, and, and it's so refreshing to kind of hear that in a very stark uh, very stark, vivid language, um, because then it makes you realize um, all the more what we have been given in Christ's accomplishments, because I think so often we take that for granted. And we slip into that labor mode, right? We slip into that that mindset and that, um, that, pers- that idea that we have to be laboring after these things and earning them and winning them by our striving after the mark, so to speak. Um, but the gospel is there to remind us that we've already been given it. Right. right? And we, and we who believe in the good news of the, the 
gospel can still sort of trick ourselves into thinking that, no, we're not earning it. We're just sort of retroactively saying, we're, we're saying thank you, right? But we, we talk about, we think about saying thank you in such a way that it becomes like a retroactive earning. Like we've been given it and we feel guilty for the gift we've been given because it's such a good gift. So we then, after the fact, work to become people for whom this gift would actually be justified. Mm, that's right. And I think that goes back to um, <laughs> that goes back to what Paul uh, kind of excoriates the Galatians for when he, he, he writes there in Galatians 3, like, you foolish people, what, like, who has bewitched you? And he just calls them out on the fact that they've just slipped right back into this sort of um, this earning mode, this labor mode, this idea that um, now I'm, 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 you know, I'm thanking God for what I'm doing, but I'm still trying to earn uh, what I've been given. And, and he he, said, he basically is calling them out, calling them on the carpet on the fact that they've forgotten the gospel. And I think that's what happens when we are so concerned with with not messing up, with not failing, with with uh, trying to labor after always winning. Uh, we forget the grace that meets failures, right? Right. And I think that kind of relates to what I want to. Well, the next thing I wanted to talk to you about is um, a big topic <laughs> and big because of the person it is, and that's LeBron James. Now, we could probably talk about LeBron and all the things that are around him for a long time, but um, I think LeBron is such an interesting figure because, well, he's he's polarizing. People hate him or people love him, and there's really no in-between and I think the idea of people hating him is just ridiculous, but that's because I'm biased a certain way. Um, and I think that LeBron is an interesting conversation because of who he is in the nature of the failures that he has suffered, but also the, the idea that he came out as the, you know, the chosen one and all these sorts of things. He has all this around him. Um, but, well, let me just ask you this. Why, why do you think people are so um, – why, why do you think they hate him so much? Um, I think there's a sense in which um, people hate anything that makes them feel insufficient. And um, when mm. someone is just so good at what they do, so unassailably good, that's um, that causes friction for people. Um, I also think just sort of practically and sort of um, not so uh, thoughtfully, really, um, there's also a sense in which he's just the new challenger to the throne, if you will. And um, there's going to be in 20 years, people who are our age and who will be, People who will be our age in 20 years will feel the same way about whoever is the next challenger to LeBron James. Like there, they grew up with LeBron James. We grew up with Michael Jordan. So we, we um, are possessive of Jordan in the same way that the previous generation is possessive of 
Magic Johnson or the previous one of Wilt Chamberlain or, you know, whoever, like that's our guy. So we're going to hate anybody who dares to say that they're as good or better than our guy. Well, I think that's really true. And it just kind of, that kind of speaks to uh, the topic of nostalgia, which is an interesting topic to kind of delve into. And the fact is we remember the, we, we have this idea that Michael Jordan was hitting every single game winner that he ever took and that he averaged 55 points a game and never made a bad pass or never bricked a shot. Um, and so we look at LeBron and his apparent failures in this uh, that are really in front of us, and we see all these times when he hasn't lived up to our our measure of perfection that we have in the legacy of Michael Jordan. And we feel as though, um, he, he's, he's failing. He's, he's not, he's not perfect the way we perceive Jordan to be. And I think that kind of plays into, uh, how we view all of the things that he's doing. Um, and I think the remarkable thing is the fact that, uh, beyond anything else, um, uh, well, I, I think it, when you take, when you consider what, LeBron has done even off the court, off the NBA playing uh, playing surface. LeBron has far surpassed, uh, I think, what a lot of people thought an athlete could do um, in terms of the things that he's given back and all those types of things and the success he's been able to uh, achieve off the off the court and whatnot. But I think what LeBron the legacy of LeBron is sort of something that's worth talking about for a long time, just because um, he came in as, you know, he has the chosen one or whatever tattooed on his chest. And he has all these things that's been given to him. And yet I think that kind of like plays into our hatred of him. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, certainly everybody could say like, well, he didn't, he didn't get born with the chosen one tattoo on his back. He he's the one who got that. You know, it's like sort of, it's like a self a self applied thing. I mean, the, the, this of course is the easy transition into um, the Kobe Bryant thing, where you know it's sort of lame to give yourself a nickname. You know, like nobody called him the Black Mamba until he started doing it, and yeah. <laughs> um, you could say that you know. There wasn't anybody who forced LeBron James to have the chosen one tattooed on his back either. Yeah, that's right, and I do want to talk about that because you wrote a piece a while ago called um, uh, something about Mamba mentality, and it's yeah. talking about this idea of Kobe Bryant giving himself the name Black Mamba. Now, uh, my bias will probably seep through again when I talk about. Kobe Bryant and his legacy just because I don't have him in as high regard as I do some other NBA athletes. But regardless, um, it, in that piece, you talk about the fact that he, I think he was referencing, uh, like, a, I think it was Russell Westbrook, I think. And he was talking about how it, basically it, you were talking about how if the shot had gone in, it was, it was considered hashtag Mamba mentality, but if it hadn't, then it's just another missed shot. It, it, can you expound on that? Well, Kobe is the greatest shot misser in NBA history. He's literally missed more shots than any other player in the history of the NBA. Um, and, you know, he's 
amazingly actually known as this great clutch scorer when actually if you look at his statistics that's just not true he was a great clutch shot taker not a great clutch shot maker (laughs) in fact i was thinking um just this morning as i was uh preparing for the the conversation we're having that the the most famous clutch shot I can think of of his was actually an air ball in the playoffs against uh, one of those Steve Nash Phoenix teams that he airballed and Ron Artest caught and put in for the win. Um, but yet, so so after his retirement, he has he has started commenting on other players and their quote you know, hashtag Mamba mentality when they um, shoot and make great clutch shots at the end of a game, which is fine. I mean, that's an important thing to to take and make a clutch shot to win a game. But he never, he never gives anybody hashtag Mamba mentality when they take a clutch shot and miss it. It's only when they make it, which is ironic for two reasons. One is that it's actually unlike mostly what Kobe did. He would shoot the shots and miss them mostly. And it's also uh, it's, it's, it's also ironic because um, it's sort of shining a light on a human tendency that is uh, just the opposite of what we should do. Like we think that if we surround ourselves with winners – uh, we'll look like a winner too. Um, but the truth is, when we surround ourselves with winners, it just makes us feel like a loser. That's like when you walk into a room full of really smart or really attractive people. You don't then feel really smart or really uh, attractive. At least I don't. When I walk into a room full of really attractive people, I feel ugly. When I walk into a room full of really smart people, I feel dumb. So we, it's like, you know, the, the classic example of this, of course, is Hugh Hefner and his uh, very young girlfriends, right? Do they make him seem young when he's with them? No, no. They made him seem like the crypt keeper. You know, he looked all the older in comparison to his beautiful young girlfriends. And so, um, when we, we want to so badly associate ourselves with winning, hashtag Mamba mentality, but when we associate ourselves with winning, it only throws our losing into sharper relief. And of course, the irony for Christians is that Jesus specifically said again and again that he did not come to associate himself with winners, that he came to losers. He came to the enemies of God. He came to the sick. He came, in fact, to the dead. You know, he, he, he came to give new life to dead people. And so to the extent that we desperately cling to and try to associate ourselves with winning, we're actually trying to get out of the class of people that Jesus says he specifically came to. <laughs> that it is so funny how we, we, we do that. It, well, it's sadly funny because we think, just like you said, we think that if we're around more winners and if we're striving after spiritually winning, then we're doing what the gospel says. But actually, it's when we are 
doing what you just said, seeking out the losers and associating ourselves with losing sinners that we find that, that we're doing what the gospel tells us to do. <laughs> and I well, think it's not even so much something that we're supposed to do as something that we are. Like, we don't have to work to associate ourselves right. with losers. We just have to be honest about ourselves. <laughs> That's right. And I think it kind of goes back to what you were talking about with hashtag mama mentality, as it's almost, it's almost like a retrospective uh, theology of glory, where you're almost redefining something that you've done to um, make sure that you appear as if you're uh, more righteous than you really are. And I think that's kind of where where the ideas of sports, and I think specifically for me, the NBA, it's just because it's my most beloved of all of them, uh, is a really good kind of crucible for uh, this reality of theologies of glory and theologies um, um, of the cross, and it, where if if you do something right or whatever, you turn it into uh, a mom, hashtag mama mentality, something that you meant to do and something that you know is right. Um, but just like you're saying, um, it, it, we just have to be honest with ourselves and we'll realize that we're woefully short of any sort of measure of perfection. Well, because the, the, the standard is always unachievable, right? I remember, um, so speaking of LeBron, he, so he was in Miami for four years, right? So he, he loses the title the first year and then wins one the second year over Oklahoma city. And it's not a, not a blowout, but sort of. And then the third year, there's this really close, um, series in the finals with the Spurs. And I, re I remember watching sort of sports talk TV during that third finals when he was with the Heat. And there was this big discussion at that time about if the Heat lose, will LeBron James's tenure in Miami be a failure? Like his one championship out of three years enough to make going to Miami at all a success. And there, there's this one um, sports writer in Miami named named Dan Lebetard, and he was saying that what his hope was, and, you know, he's sort of um, making a joke at the people who were making this argument's expense. He was saying his hope was that it, it would come down to game seven of these NBA NBA finals um, with somebody else on the free throw line, right? Not LeBron James, somebody else on the line, score tied, no time on the clock. No, actually not, not score tied, heat down by one. No time on the clock. LeBron James can do nothing. Somebody else has to shoot free throws. If they make them, the heat win and LeBron's tenure in Miami is a success. If they, they, if they miss the heat lose LeBron's tenure in Miami is a failure, right? All of this broad, like galactic scope tenure is a success. Tenure is a failure. All comes down to somebody else's free throws. And this is what, this is what you're talking about when you talk about the crucible of sports, right? we, we, we try to impute huge meaning to tiny things. Like, is Dirk Nowitzki a champion? No, he's weak and he's a loser. He can't win the big game. 
until one day he does, then, oh, well, he was always a winner. He just needed the opportunity or, you know, whatever. We, we talk in, we don't use these vocabulary words, but we talk in terms of righteousness and sinfulness, these broad categories, but then we can, we can uh, change them so quickly depending on literally the bounce of a ball. So um, as sinful people, we are very attuned to um, how tenuous our grasp on righteousness and sinfulness is. If it's up to us, if it's up to the bounce of a ball, that's why Christianity and the gospel is such good news because it's righteousness from outside of us. It's not up to us. We don't have to make the free throws. We don't have to win the game. It's something that has been given to us by someone else that is dependent only on what that someone else has already accomplished. Hmm. Well, that's so important to, um, so important to hear and so important to remind ourselves of is, is just that very fact that um, we can admit that we, are losers because Christ has already won for us. And so we don't have to live up to this standard or, or anymore. We don't have to be pursuing this theology of glory anymore because we, uh, we are made known to be who we are. Like you said, we are made known to be losers. And this kind of um, brings me to another thing uh, that I wanted to chat with you quickly about, which was um, something you've written about and something I've um, written about as well which is sort of this idea, uh, this really weird harebrained idea called players only meetings. Um, <laughs> yeah. Which I think is a funny reality. Um, in, you know, in, in a sense, these player only meeting players only meetings are lofted and lauded as really good things to do when your team is struggling or whatnot. Like if LeBron's, uh, Cleveland Cavaliers were struggling. They called players only meetings, and usually it was LeBron or some other veteran person on his team, um, like Richard Jefferson or someone like that, leading this meeting. And it was, it was supposedly something that was uh, admirable uh, to do. But in a way, and in a very real way, um, players only meetings are kind of futile uh, because they're pushing out the only person that can give them advice and wisdom from the outside and they're pushing out the coach and i think a lot of times the, that idea and that 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 reality is something that christians uh especially are so um guilty of um we we ha- we live our lives as players only meetings <laughs> pushing out um pushing out grace pushing out uh, the word uh, and and saying that we can we can come up with our own solutions to the problems. You see this. I mean, this is, this is human, right? I I was actually just seeing this on Facebook this morning. Somebody, you know, shared one of those inspirational images that was all about how um, happiness only comes from within. And I was like, my goodness, if happiness only comes from within, I'm cooked. Um, Because I'm, I um I had a professor, you know, I'm not sure what uh I actually don't know what church tradition you're from, but there are um there are some church traditions that have um that have um labyrinths. If you've heard of this, you sort of um walk the 
labyrinth and prey and sort of you're you're supposed to find some sort of of inner healing by walking the labyrinth and i had a um professor once who said you know he's he's totally against labyrinths and when he was asked why he said you know do you know what's always at the center of the labyrinth the minotaur <laughs> you know like this is this is in greek mythology there's a there's a a minotaur who would eat you when you got to the center of the 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 labyrinth and his his point was when you're only looking for solutions within you're going to get eaten by the minotaur the good news as we've been talking about already is by definition from without we are incapable of saving ourselves our self-justification efforts always fall short we need a word of salvation from the outside and this this uh idea of player only meetings is a wonderful illustration of that the coach is specifically hired and paid to um help a team see what's wrong and to try to fix it i mean there are good coaches and there are not good ones but you can at least admit that that's their whole job so if they're not doing their job they need to be replaced but the idea that something here is going wrong, let's kick out the one guy whose job it is to look at us as a system from the outside and sort of speak truth into it and tell us what's wrong. Let's kick him out and talk amongst ourselves about what the problem is. I guarantee you everybody in that player's only meeting is thinking, well, it's not me, it's you. And the other guy's saying, well, it's not me, it's you. And it's not me, it's you, it's not me, it's you. What you need is somebody from outside the circle to say, actually, here's what's going on. You need that word of truth, um, even if it's something that you don't want to hear. And, of course, the first word of God is something that you don't want to hear. You know, you are a sinner. You have not lived up to the standard to which you have been called. That's something that you would never hear in a players-only meeting. Players only meeting says the problem must be somewhere else. We're all good, aren't we? Yes, 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 yes. You need the coach to say you're not all good in the same way that the first word of the Lord, the law, is you are a sinner. You can't hear that you have a savior until you admit that you are a sinner. And in the same way, an athlete can't receive the good news about what he needs to change until he accepts the bad news that there is something about himself he needs to change. That's and to me, um, that's why this idea of a players only meeting is such a, this is a good transition is such a good a sort of illustration of kind of what we get wrong about um, sanctification, because in, in my mind, um, this doctrine of sanctification, sort of the um, the elephant in the room of all theological conversation uh, is all kind of stirred up by this idea that we have these players only meetings with ourselves and that we are the ones that are going to figure out our problem with persistent sin on our own. And <laughs> this, it, 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 it's just ironic to me that we who are uh, the ones who are broken think that we are going to fix what's broken. It's, kind of an insane solution to a really, really bad problem. <laughs> yeah, that the the, um, the car can somehow fix its own engine. 
you know, like no, no mechanic needed. I'm going to just sort of like work like the engine can't work on itself. And for an engine to think that it could, like you said, is sort of crazy. Um, and yet we, we don't think of ourselves as broken engines. We think of ourselves as the mechanic. And that's just like a category error. Like we are the thing that is acted upon, not the actor. Well, and I think that's why, well, like taking a, a, a step back, that's, I think why, it's why sports are such a good um, way to learn about the human condition and kind of learn what we get wrong, not just about sanctification, but about this whole gospel thing in and of itself. It's just, it, it, there's such a competitive nature to our spirituality that sanctification becomes this sort of leveling up, like leveling up plan and leveling up game where we have to win and beat others and we have to make sure that we're more spiritual than the other person. And it's actually something that, that is opposite of kind of what you said in your talk at Mockingbird recently, which you said sanctification is no progress up. It's actually progress down. And I think that's not something that we, um, we consciously are aware of um, as much as we should be. Yeah. I think that um, when, when somebody hears you saying something like we need to make sure that we're um, more sanctified than somebody else. They are, they're, they're going to latch onto that and say like, I don't think that way. I'm just trying to get closer to Jesus or I'm just trying to be um, more sanctified than I was yesterday. And that's really like that last one is evidence that what you're saying is actually true, even though it's not some other person that they're trying to be more sanctified than what they are doing is trying to be more sanctified than or closer to Jesus than the them they used to be or the them they fear they are. And the good news of the gospel is that it's not our job to get or stay close to Jesus, but it, that it's Jesus's job to stay close to us. And um, we don't, we don't think of ourselves normally as sort of like needing to sort of climb the ladder beyond the other people in our lives. We actually see the other people in our lives usually as sort of, um, well, I may not be perfect, but at least I'm better than that guy. <laughs> like we, we, we always need to find somebody in our lives that's a little bit less spiritually developed than us so that we can always hang on to them to feel good about ourselves. Like at least, at least we're not that guy. You know, we, we may not be a perfect father, but at least we went to three little league games this year. Unlike that one kid's dad who I never saw at all. Like we always need that one person who's less developed than us so that we can be okay. And this is, this is, you know, this has analogs in, in sports too, as long as we finish on the medal stand, right? We're, we're okay. As long as we're not last, as long as we're not the, the soccer team that gets relegated to the lower division. Like we just need, we need to be the general manager who does well enough not to lose our job. That's, that's all we need. And that's the story of the publican and the Pharisee from Luke chapter 18, right? That's, 
Um, <laughs> that's such a, 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 a familiar story, but it's one that, like you said, it's, it's familiar because it's true and it's true of all of us that we want to find the person who's lesser so that we feel a little bit greater and so that we feel okay with ourselves. But that's really not Christian maturity at all. That's, uh, I think this is something else that you said is that the more mature in Christ that we are, the more aware we are of our own immaturity. And I think that reminds me of something that um, uh, um, Spurgeon, I think, said that the, the more holy a man becomes, the more he's aware and the more he hates the holiness that's unholiness that's within him. And that, to me, is 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 what this whole idea of of sanctification is 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 all about. It's it's realized weakness. It's realized the fact that, like you said, we're not the mechanic fixing the problem, where the engine with the problem being fixed on, being worked on, being chiseled uh, by the spirit. And uh, uh, that's something that's um, hard to admit because we we live in a, a society, in a world, in a culture that's inundated with winning, like we talked about earlier. Uh, being something that's wrong, being a loser, being uh a failure. Uh, there's really no place for that in our in our society and in the way our society functions. Yeah, I mean the 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 um the most closely held uh, virtues, not the right word, but, but no one will fight you more than when you challenge them as like a f- free agent or, or the actor in the, their own lives, but. Um, scripture paints a very different picture of the human person. Uh, Hebrews says that scripture itself is living and active and that it's sharper than any two edged sword. And we, we often, um, come to scripture as though, you know, we're the scalpel and we're gonna, we're going to dissect it and figure out what's going on in this dead book when, um, scripture's own witness is that the exact opposite is happening, that we're the ones um, who are laid out on the table and the word of God is what's working on us. So we, we are always the sort of recipient. We are the, the passive. We are the one acted upon and it's the word of God that is the actor. And that's scary for a person who has been told their whole life, you can do anything you set your mind to, or you know you're you're free. You can you can do anything, and to hear the opposite that you are the one that that you have forces acting on you, that your will isn't so much free as it is bound. Um, these are scary things. Um, only though, if we didn't have a benevolent, redeeming, almighty God. But we do have a benevolent, redeeming, almighty God who has sent his son into the world to act upon us, to take our sin onto himself, to give his righteousness to us outside of our activity, outside of us doing. We are, we are the receiver. And that is when you have a redeeming God, the best news of all. Yes, it is. A wonderful news. And it kind of leads me into another thing I wanted to touch on, which is in this whole idea of LeBron James and legacies and um, 
progressing upwards. It kind of, we, we can talk about something else that you have written about, which is this idea of uncoupling performance from identity. And it's the fact that uh, if you were to take a step back and look at LeBron's legacy, is it, is it defined in the moment like you were talking about with Dirk Nowitzki? Is it defined in those small little little accomplishments and that's what define everything? Or is it um, if we can uncouple that performance from his identity and his legacy, what, what is it then? And I think um, that speaks to athletes, but I think more in, in a more apparent way that speaks to Christians who are constantly struggling with this idea that who – or what they do is who they are. Yeah, I mean, I can think of very few things more dangerous than thinking about one's legacy. I mean, I, I, I don't know how to ruin my life more <laughs> than to spend time thinking about how I'll be remembered. Um, and for for somebody like LeBron James, he has to grapple with this with basically every reporter's question every day. I mean, this is the conversation we're having about him. Like we can't just say like LeBron James plays basketball better than anyone I've ever seen (laughs) in that he, he shoots a higher percentage. He's a better passer. He's a better defensive player, whatever, we have to talk in terms of, quote, greatness. And as I've said, I don't really know what greatness means. I know what skills are. I know what, um, you know, what a good shot looks like. I know what a good pass looks like. I know what good dribbling is, but I don't know what greatness is. So, when we talk about greatness, which is the kind of terms we need to talk about when we're talking about something like legacy, we get into something that's a lot murkier. And when you get into something murky, you get into Matthew five forty eight territory, which is when Jesus says, actually, you know, after I've sort of re reconstituted all these laws for you, you've heard it said eye for an eye tooth for tooth, I tell you, do not resist an evildoer. You've heard it said, um, thou shalt not commit adultery, but I say anyone who lusts has already committed adultery. You know what? Let's just make this simple. You must be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. He's like taking an ax to anybody's legacy, to anybody's idea of the, the thing they're going to leave behind um that anybody can say oh nick landon was great <laughs> you know like that that therefore you must be perfect is like an atomic bomb to the idea of my legacy and so it's just a it's a it's a no-win situation i have a a friend who would say there's no cheese up that tunnel. You know, like we're a rat in a maze and we're looking for the cheese and we've gone the wrong way when we're talking about our legacy, when we're, when we're in the the realm of greatness, when we're in the realm of accomplishment on this grand scale, we, we're going to have that ripped away from us. And that's why, um, 
LeBron James is, he's going to have, you know, he has this ripped away from him every day. Like all he hears is, well, you're not that great. And whoever's after him is going to hear, you know, you're not as great as LeBron James was. And whoever's after that person is going to hear, you're not as great as whoever the first one was. You're just not that great, son. And for a Christian, we actually have a comforting answer to that. When a non-Christian hears, you're not that great, son, all you can do is say, well, I'm going to, I'm going to try better. I'm going to work harder. Hashtag Mamba mentality. Um, but a Christian, we can say, you know what? You're right. I have spent my entire life ruining my legacy. But thank God, my name, my quote-unquote greatness, to whatever extent it exists, has been given to me by someone else and is not sort of the sum of my accomplishments, thank goodness but is the sum of someone else's accomplishments for me. That's right. That's right. The, uh, our legacies aren't tied up in, again, like what you were saying, it's not tied up in who we are or what we do is tied up in who Jesus is. And that's the greatest legacy we could ever leave is then sharing that, that given legacy to other people. And um, I, I just think that's an amazing, um, an amazing truth that it's amazingly good news that 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 God's announcement to us is that we've been given the perfect legacy of His righteousness, which is something that speaks to me, and I speaks. I think it speaks to everyone, whether they're LeBron James or whether they're um, you know Joe Schmo on the bench. This the the good news is for every single one of those individuals. Um, Nick, I want to say, uh, as we kind of wrap this up, that I'm really thankful for your time uh, today. It, it kind of went by too fast in my book. Um, next time we'll have to, uh, I don't know, we'll, we'll talk about some other uh, some other microcosm of sports and theology. But I really appreciate your wisdom, uh, your insights, and I, I had a lot of fun with this episode. So thanks so much for coming on. My pleasure, man. Thanks again. Thanks again to Nick for being today's guest. Uh, make sure you read all the notes and check out all the links that are in the blog. Uh, there's some really great resources that are there. And uh, that's it for today's episode of Ministry Minded, though. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, if you like what you just heard, be sure to follow the show on Twitter at underscore Ministry Minded. You can also subscribe to the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. Uh, thanks again to the Christian Standard Bible for sponsoring the show. And thank you, as always, for listening and commenting and subscribing. I'll see you on on the next episode, guys. Blessings.